Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Welcome to another week of the Recruitment Flex. I'm Serge and as always joined by my lovely co-host Shelly Billinghurst. Shelly, good to see you again. <laughs> Thank you, Serge. We've got a really great episode today. We're big fans of JobSync and this is a wonderful opportunity for me to introduce the lovely, the talented Leah Daniels, who's the Chief Commercial Officer at JobSync. Welcome to the show, Leah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's nice to see both of you. So Leah, one of the things we've been doing this consistently since the beginning of the Recruitment Flex is sharing our story of how did we get into this business of recruitment? And you've done some really cool stuff. Share with us, where did it all start for you? And how did you get hooked into this business? So it all started by being recruited, as one is, into a company who was later renamed ZoomInfo. And I was actually still in college. And I went to this company called ZoomInfo. And at the time, it was going to be a recruiting tool. It was a passive sourcing tool for recruiters. And we worked with Microsoft and Manpower and all the big brands of people who needed to find people. So it really started right out of college for me. And I uh, spent 10 years at ZoomInfo helping all sorts of organizations source and find candidates. And then as my career progressed, I moved over to an ATS called Bullhorn, which was really focused on the staffing and recruitment space. And I worked with some of the smallest and largest staffing firms that are out in the U.S. and then globally and uh, continued my career over at Monster and then a company called AppCast, which does programmatic advertising. And in 2021, I joined JobSync, which I'm super excited about because once again, I'm looking at an organization and a company that is solving a real problem that recruiters out in the market face. And I love any sort of recruitment technology that solves problems. Leah, I'm really interested. What is a chief commercialization officer? No, I've actually, commercial. I don't, commercial. Oh, commercial. What did I say? In English, in English it's commercial. <laughs> What did I say? Um, So I I really worry about all of the go-to-market for job sync. So everything from how we're going from a marketing and a messaging standpoint, how we explain what we do through what our sales organization comes up with to help solve these problems that customers have, and then into our implementation and customer support. So it's really a big part of the business. It's really focused on the market and how we solve the problems the market is facing. We've had your CEO, Alex Murphy, on the show before. Some of our audience knows what JobSync does, but we have a lot of new listeners. What is JobSync? So JobSync is a talent acquisition automation platform. So what does that mean? It means we worry about a few things. We worry about how to interconnect the ecosystem. How do we take different systems like your ATS and your job boards or your text messaging solution and integrate them? But it's more than that. It's not just integrations, it's automations. So how do we then automate some things that are happening inside of those connections that might be unexpected? For example, let's say you want to take all your jobs out of your ATS, get them onto Indeed Easy Apply with all your job level questions. You want candidates to answer that. And then you want those Easy Apply answers with all of your application questions back into your ATS. Plus, you want your storefront managers to know about each applicant that's within 20 miles of their particular store. We can do that. We can let those storefront managers know too, not just the recruiters. So there's 
all sorts of interesting automations that can happen inside integrations that no one's really tapped into yet. And we're really excited about doing that. Wow. What's your target client? Yes. All of them that have a hard time hiring people. So everyone. (laughs) Everyone. Now, I try not to say yes to everyone because it's hard to do all of it all at once. So we work a lot with the enterprise who are using some of the really difficult ATSs, especially to work with the Workdays, the Success Factors, the Taleos, Oracle Clouds, UKGs, these really large systems of record. And they come back with really complicated problems. They say things to us like, okay, I only want my store jobs to go to the easy applies. I want them to go on Indeed and Talru and Talent and ZipRecruiter and Monster. And then I want you to ask them some questions. And when we get the answers, some of those are going to go into our chat bot and get further screening right to an interview. But other ones, we're going to go through a text messaging platform and other ones are going to go straight into the ATS. Those are really complicated internal processes that need to be adapted to. And you need a system that can handle that. And so a lot of the companies we work with come to us with these really sticky problems, right? How do I get my WOTC program to work with Easy Apply? Or more importantly, how do I get EEOC to work with Easy Apply? That's a big one for us because EEOC is really strict and you have to follow the rules. That's a US thing, everybody. And how do we get them to follow those rules if we don't have the proper integration set up? So lots of fun things to solve for, but every customer is a little bit bespoke because their processes are all bespoke. Wow. That's music to most recruiters ears, because I think that is a problem that I hear constantly is that the systems just don't talk to each other. So thank you for that. And also one of the things that we wanted to bring you on today's episode to talk about is a really cool resource available pretty much to anybody, but it talks about the biggest problems. When you talk about Indeed. Okay. So Indeed's a, a volume driving traffic volume yep. applicant platform. The big question everybody has is quality. Yeah. Right? That seems to be the, the holy grail. So Leah, can you talk a bit about the whole concept of market mapping and how do you even go about doing it? Can I just step back for a second? Cause you had a lot in that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I tend to do that. No, no, no. It's, it's, a, it's so, a disease um, of, of podcasters. <laughs> I'm familiar with it. One of the things that led us to this guide was uh, a moment in time, as these things often happen, where we looked at the world and said, oh my goodness, these recruiters have Stockholm Syndrome. All of them. They don't believe they can solve some of these problems. And we, as technologists, folks, have made it worse because We've convinced recruiters, the only way you're going to get more candidates is to make this one little tweak to your job title. And if it's a little bit shorter, or maybe if you put a couple more bullet points, right? If you post your job at 11, 12 a.m. so that it can make the cycle for the noon, like we have asked recruiters to turn themselves into pretzels to squeeze one or two or three more candidates out of that orange. And so I really do think analysis paralysis or just Stockholm syndrome has set in. So we've basically put them out to the market. You have a choice. You may have easy apply and you may have all the volume in the world. And then you will spend all of your life figuring out whether or not you want to call this person. Or you can have the quality you're looking for, but your volume is probably not going to make the numbers you need. And so you're going to have to come up with real creative ways to find more people for the data to work so that you get higher out of this whole thing. So those are your two choices. Okay. And neither of them are great. 
And so part of this guide is all about how do we make that two choices not be two choices? How do we make a third choice? How do we find the Goldilocks zone in there that lets you say, oh, I can have the best of both worlds. Okay, now that we think through that, we can say, what are the key things we need to do to notch it up a little bit further, right? Because just marrying into the Goldilocks zone, you're already doubling your your volume. You're going to double your volume if you can get to Goldilocks. Mm -hmm. Now, how do we go and get more? So market mapping is this concept that exists where you have to actually step back for a second and be reasonable about what you're asking for, which I know a lot of recruiters go, it's not me asking for it. The example I had in mind when we started talking about market mapping for this guide was there are lots of truck driving companies specifically that need to find drivers and they try to find them in places they don't exist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so no amount of throwing more money at the problem makes a CDL driver exist there. It's another great example. We work with a company who looks for customer service people whom they have a cap on what they're willing to pay for them. From a market mapping perspective, we actually run a really interesting set of rules for them where we look at the opposite of the, I call them the NFL cities. So don't advertise in and around the big cities, advertise anywhere but there. So their market mapping was about their compensation levels. They can't afford someone in New York City. They can't afford people in Chicago. They can't afford people in LA. But you know where they can afford people? In Boise, Idaho. You know what? Let's advertise where the people are that you can afford. Looking at your skills, looking at your salary, looking at it, can it be remote or not? Let's make sure we match what we're advertising to what is realistic out in the market. And market mapping is the activity of doing that. Well, remote working has definitely helped in that activity itself, but there's still a lot of organizations that's just not an option. Right? 60% of jobs can't be remote. Like, no. I do not want my surgeon remote. Thank you. <laughs> No, no, I I, <laughs> I I completely agree. But what happens with a company that is, say, based in New York City and they need their software developers to be in New York City? Are they just screwed or is there other option? I mean, there's always, well, you pay more. And then there's also the really hard option is do they really need to be in New York City as a software developer? We were talking about this great resignation and I've heard it called the great wake up call and the great actualization and there's for it. But really what's happening is this moment where there's all of these people, and I hate to say this, but all these old people who run companies who have an idea of how things should be done. And all of these workers who are saying, it doesn't have to be that way. And because we are in a moment where we had so many people retire at the beginning of the pandemic, we have a smaller worker force today than we had two years ago. And the workers are getting more of a say. And so, yes, there are jobs that you have to have on site. And yes, pay is pretty much a big lever as well as working conditions. Having a good employer brand and having an attractive place to be is really important. Although we're starting to see data that says people are regretting their choices from this great resignation. Mm -hmm. Just because you have a nice website and the recruiter's really great, what's the company you know behind that look like? So I think this resignation is going to continue. There's going to be a lot of churn that we see over the yeah, next three years. What we're seeing in the market right now is a lot of people that did change jobs and realized that the environment is not what was sold. But I want to change subject. I really want to dig in on Quick Apply. Quick Apply is a very interesting thing that a lot of recruiters are talking about. A lot of organizations are very concerned or maybe wary about, does the quality actually drop when you give the option to Quick Apply? In your mind, how do you balance that additional volume with quality? If you use Quick Apply in its pure sense, 
you will absolutely get more volume and you will absolutely lose the quality. And that is because in order to standardize quick apply across every job and every company and every place, it is skinny, skinny, skinny. What's your name? What's your email? What's your phone number? And I've even discovered with some of our job site friends, name is somewhat optional. Like we'll take first name. That's good enough. So now we've gotten down to like first name email. Great. Not helpful, right? That is the stigma of quick applies. How do we fix that? We fix it by letting you customize and add those qualifying questions. One of the interesting things that happen, you say things like, do you have an RN? Yes or no. If the job is an RN position, they won't say no. They will just abandon. You will lose people who don't belong. They won't apply for it anymore because they've all been conditioned that there are knockout questions. And so they see it and go, oh, that's a knockout question. Great. You know what? I don't want you anyway. So this is perfect. Do you have a valid U.S. driver's license? Are you over the age of 18? Do you need sponsorship to work in the United States? Even simple questions like that will start to really bring your quality in. And you can ask more and more questions. Most of the major job sites no longer have any restriction on what questions and what kinds of questions with the exception of social security number, you know, those kinds of things. Or discriminative um, questions. Right, like, exactly. are you a man? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But you can ask for gender because it's an EEOC question. So there are questions that can be asked and a lot of the job sites support this now. What you want is that easy apply. And the reason you want the easy apply is really important. The job boards reward companies who are using it. Mm -hmm. And they reward them in that they provide them access to their mobile traffic, which is about 70% of their candidates. Why do they do this? Because they know it's a good experience. They know the mobile experience is not going to send them over to PeopleSoft where you now have to pinch and zoom to log in. There's none of that. And so they can control the experience and that's the experience they're going to present. So companies who need volume and quality need to figure out first how to get into that easy apply pool of candidates. And that is the majority by a lot. Yeah. Further into the report, and we'll include in our show notes where to go to download how to increase the quality of your applicants. But I know setting expectations of what is this role and what is the interview process going to be? Because that's where it's a waste of the candidate's time or the hiring manager and the recruiter. What recommendations do you have of getting hiring managers and recruiters on the same page with candidates? Is there a process that can easily be put in place? Absolutely. In fact, the really good companies are starting to put that process in the job posting. Yeah. Right? Full transparency. Here's our process. But get the simple things out of the way. If you, as a recruiter, aren't talking about salary on the first conversation, you're doing it wrong. You have to get that out of the way because that is a big waste of everybody's time, right? You need to be very explicit how many interviews they're going to be going through. And then honestly, on the process side, you got to get your team on board with being highly available and reactive. One of the things that is killing companies right now is they are getting into late stages with applicants who are being offered a job from someone who is faster. This is a market of speed right now. And I don't care if you're hiring uh, an entry-level worker or somebody with 25 years of experience and a PhD, they are still all in demand and you have to move quickly. And, oh, just two more interviews. Oh, sorry, I didn't get back to you for a week. No more of that. There's no time for that. You will Mm -hmm. lose these candidates. The organizations that say to themselves, oh, I'd like to talk to two more people. After they found a great candidate, 
have just lost that great candidate. They will not last. They will not wait out. You are not good enough. Your value prop is not strong enough. Doesn't matter what it is. They're not waiting around. You have to be very reactive to the market you're in. And so anything that helps you move speed, right? Everything from the minute they apply, you should be getting text consent and you should be texting them. Move your candidate forward at the beginning of the application process, especially if you have knockout questions. If they make the minimum qualifications, get a text message string. Hey, we're super excited to get the next step going. This is what the next step is. Here's how we're doing it. This is a very simple thing companies can implement and execute on. It does not require recruiter time. It can be done in an automated fashion and it can condense that window by 12 hours, 24 hours. If it's a weekend, 72 hours, all of a sudden you are moving faster than the next guy. And this is that race. It's the bear, right? You just want to outrace everyone else. You want the other people (laughs) to get eaten. You want to stay ahead. However you have to do that. And a lot of it is about getting hiring manager nods ahead of time about availability for them and their team. The other good one, which I have seen companies do sometimes is make a decision on each candidate. Yes or no, not talk to 10 stack Mm. rank and pick, right? That stack rank mentality is killing us because the first one who was actually the yes is now gone. Second one, two, third one, two, fourth one, two. So you don't have a choice. You're hiring number 10 because you waited on the other nine. You have to get away from that mentality. You have to shift our thinking. We have to sort of shed some of these bad ideas that we've had in our head. I, I talked to a company recently who said to me, yes, I know we have 39 questions, but if they really want to work here, <sighs> oh they'll, my they'll go God, through yeah. this. And I said, <clears throat> you're hiring nurses. <laughs> I don't know. They don't yes. really want to work there. I mean, they do, but they don't. And that's not a an unrealistic <laughs> thing to see right now. I'm still seeing that in the market, this I'm the bachelor. You guys are going to get roses. If I like you at the end of the show, we'll go to the next stage. That has to stop. We have to change our thinking. Well, let's dig in deeper to that because I think recruiters understand the market really well. They understand the importance of speed. The challenge, and I've seen this firsthand, is the hiring managers, no matter how much information you're giving them, they're having a really hard time adapting to this new market and changing the way they're hiring. This is a game of speed. It's not a game of speed and losing quality. You don't want to hire just anyone, but if you're not moving quick on those top level candidates, you're going to lose them. So what's your advice for those recruiters dealing with hiring managers? That's a really great question. I have this saying that I love, which is you have to be an active participant in your own rescue. And Mm -hmm. most hiring managers see the world through this lens of recruiting is your job. Yes. Managing is my job. And the reality is they actually need these people hired to do their jobs, to be successful, they need help. They are still an active participant in the hiring cycle. You know, like all things, set expectations. But as recruiters, I know they do this already. They may not say it, but they do it, which is I work with the hiring managers that want to work with me. Like they get preference. How do you fix it? You have to tell them, I am going to work with you as long as you work with me. Some of the best partners in hiring for a lot of companies are the people who are hiring entry level and have a high churn. And that's because they are also always recruiting. So the best hiring managers are always on. They're always recruiting, even when they don't have open positions, they are actively recruiting for the next set of people that they may need to hire. And so having the recruiters 
help hiring managers understand they have to be active participants in this. This is not a, your job is to manage and my job is to hire. You have to get them on board. And if they're not, they have to wait. And that will happen anyway. Someone does it naturally, but if we can help them understand that they are inadvertently being punished by their own behavior, that they will not be the preferred hiring manager, because as a recruiter, you don't have one job opening on your desk. You have 20 or 30. You have a full slate of things you have to work on. You are not going to get priority if you aren't participating in the process. My answer to fix all of this is a lot of executives that I work with is that everyone in the company is a salesperson. And I want them to start saying everyone in the company is a recruiter. That might fix it. But I, I do want to dig in deeper in a couple of things. Leah, if you had a magic wand and you can fix one part of the recruitment process in order to increase the time to offer, what would it be? Oh, perfect. You've got a magic wand right there. <laughs> I mean, you asked. <laughs> if I could fix one part of the hiring process, what would it be? Yeah. I would add a pre-process kickoff meeting to every job rec. Mm-hmm. And it, it sounds silly, but one of the things that I see happen is that I have a job opening and everybody jumps in. No expectations are set. No plans are made. No minimum qualifications of what a candidate needs to look like are really established. No no rules of engagement. If we find someone great, what are we going to do? If we find someone in their 5K over the top budget, what's the plan? Get that all out at the beginning and we will save ourselves loads of pain on the back end because a lot of what elongates that hiring process is that we have failed to set the expectations for the internal team up front. So true. Yeah. I've said that for years. If you can master the intake or the kickoff meeting, you will save weeks of time. Mm -hmm. Weeks. If you give me 45 minutes before we go to market, I will save you three weeks of time. Yep. Was your 45 minutes worth it? We jump right in. We just jump in. The water's warm. We don't know how to do this. We've hired before. And... We don't just take that moment to have a plan. So my magic wand would be everybody do a very structured kickoff meeting before every job work. Now, again, I understand the high volume, same positions. We should probably just do one every quarter. It's just reset. But, you know, for a lot of these one-off positions, we really just need to have that kickoff meeting. I think that would solve so many problems. Now, I want to jump backwards in our conversation a bit because it just occurred to me the other big issue around the quick apply. Applicant tracking systems, some of them date back maybe 15 years that said, make HR's job easier. Let's get the applicant to do all of our work Mm -hmm. to somehow make it easier for us. And what I'm referring to is that register to apply. Yep. And I, I would even argue it wasn't even HR's position on the register apply. This is a very classic software developer, right? I do not want to have duplicate data. I want my data to be clean. The way I have clean data is I make you register so that I know you're the same person as this other person and I can have nice, clean, developer-loving data. If you look at like marketing forums, could you imagine... If you wanted to download something from a marketing company and they said, wait, before I get your information, I'm just going to need you to register and create a username and password. Oh, you've already registered. Can you reset your password? Go to your email. I think it's a Yahoo. 
go find that one. <laughs> Bring it over here. Like it, the idea is crazy, but it's, uh, in my opinion, it is very much built from a developer standpoint. We, we want to have nice clean data and this is how we're going to do it. We're going to make sure it's clean by using this mechanism. So you're very plugged in at uh, JobSync with what are the problems the register to apply has become a barrier. It yeah. is a problem. Is. Applicants are abandoning the apply process at a rate we have never seen before. They have said, I won't do it. So I'll go apply somewhere else with yep. less friction. It's, and it's even worse. I don't even think they're waiting for that login screen. And the reason I think that is because I'm seeing some of our friends at the different ATSs manipulate that and moving it to the end, for example, would you like to register now that you've already completed? And the abandon at the beginning is still staying around 90 plus percent. Mm -hmm. So what that tells us is actually candidates have ATS fatigue. Mm -hmm. They see that workday piece load up. They see Taleo load up and they go, ah, F this. (laughs) It's It's not even a login anymore. It's the fatigue of the ATS itself. Right. I was talking to one of my friends over at Talru and he said to me, what do we do about these companies that are asking 39 or 40 questions on their applications? And I'm like, you know, what? I actually discovered it's not the number of questions. It's the number of pages. Mm-hmm. If you can get this thing down to two pages, they're fine. If it's 17 pages, they're not fine. Can you get rid of the visible ATS look, feel and behavior and just make it a clean, simple form? And they're OK. You load up an ATS and it looks like it was built in 1985 with crayons, they're abandoning it. There's a lot to do with just the sentiment around the ATS loading that really trying to get away from that. Again, that's a lot of what we see is trying to emulate that data collection process because I do think recruiters need a lot of that data. And the reason I think they need this data, I should probably say this because it's important. We're so focused on this candidate experience, but that is intrinsically tied to the recruiter experience. If you have a fabulous candidate experience and the recruiter's life is absolute hell, the candidate's life is now hell. We just moved it from Mm. the Mm. clicking and applying part to the waiting part. So Mm. you have to think about the recruiter in this process. You can't solve the candidate experience and ignore the recruiter experience because you will not have solved the candidate experience. Mm -hmm. Very good points, Leo. Very good points. I completely agree. So as Shelly said, you're very plugged in into this community, into this world, looking at predictions of what actually is going to be a major HR or talent acquisition disruption in the next couple of years. I'll uh, get the magic wand or I guess that your crystal ball. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's interesting because I think all of this has a lot of other legs to it. We like to look at this stuff in a vacuum, but there's a bunch of things happening that are important. What's happening with the economy, both domestically and globally? In fact, we're seeing it right now. This inflation component, wages, how we're dealing with wage adjustment, how companies are looking through three and five years, both from a technology stack standpoint and a people stack standpoint. And you look at all of this and you say, it's really hard to figure out what's going to happen. What I know is going to happen, though, what I know will continue is that the employee voice has gotten louder. We're going to see people both vocal internally, but vocal by exiting businesses. Mm. We're going to tell you what I think by leaving. Companies are going to have to continue to adapt at a rate that they're not used to. Something interesting happened, you know, the pandemic set in, we saw 
this incredible acceleration of companies adapting in a way they never had before. And now we're actually seeing it revert a little. And, you know, we kind of do want you back in the office. Uh, maybe, maybe three days, maybe, maybe five. So, you know, I think we're going to see this give and take, but I think the employee voice is a big part of what's going to change how this whole world goes forward. You know, Sergio, you and I were talking about this idea of the candidate experience and the recruiter experience. So intrinsically tied, it's actually tied to a third thing, which is the employee experience, mm-hmm. yeah. right? If your employees are leaving in droves, guess whose life sucks? The recruiters. And guess whose life's now going to suck? The candidates, right? So you got to keep your base. You got to keep your employees. You have to nurture them. You have to hear them. That lowers churn, which gives the recruiters the ability to actually do their job, especially if you're in a growth mode, and then provide you with a great candidate experience. So it's all tied together from a what's going to happen standpoint. I don't know. There's a lot happening. (laughs) (laughs) I do know, though, is the employee voice is getting louder, and that is going to drive a lot of what happens in the recruitment space and in the candidate experience space. You can't out-recruit yourself out of turnover. They start trying, is that right? We see people trying to do it, and it is it is hard. Amazing insights, Leah. I'm so glad you came on. And for anyone listening, what's the best way to get a hold of Leah Daniels? Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm happy to connect on LinkedIn. I'm probably the best way for all you cool people who like Instagram and Twitter. I don't. LinkedIn is my friend, so feel free to reach me there. Or, of course, come to our website. It's JobSync. And download our assets. We would love it. A lot of great info. We will put this latest insight that you put out on the show notes. But Leah, it was such a pleasure to have you on. Yes, Thank you for taking so the time. So fun. And I'm going to quote a whole bunch. I've got Goldilocks. I've got <laughs> ATS fatigue. I don't know. You just coined a whole bunch more catchphrases. So <laughs> thanks, <laughs> Leah. That was really fun. Oh, I loved it. Thanks for having me. I love chatting with everyone. And this is stuff, obviously, I'm excited about. I do like solving the recruitment world's problems. And I feel like we're making our small contribution right now. Happy to happy to be here with you guys. Thanks for your time as well. Thank you. Thanks, Leah. We'll talk again. Sounds good. Bye now. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing Business Bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.